you. God Give bless me a hug, man. Amen. Amen. There we go. Pastor, I will say, Amar, uh, I appreciate what you're doing. Jane, I appreciate you guys and the love and the effort to encourage God's people to help establish a community of faith here. And um, I just want to commend it for that and all of you for being a part of what God is doing here. Don't forget, God is always, Jesus said, my father is always at work. And so he's at work in this body. So it is, I, 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 this is a big old place, right? <laughs> and I, I came in, I'm like, whoa, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm starting visioning, you know, creating vision. Okay, you can do this. What else can you do? But, you know, uh, the Lord will lead you and in, uh, in what he's doing here. So uh, once again, thank you, Micaiah and, and uh, Southridge for allowing me the awesome privilege to come and minister God's word to you. Um, that is, let's see, where are we going? I am, as Micaiah said, uh, I'm a, what we call a director of missions, and I get, the, I get the awesome privilege of encouraging churches. I get to see them start from pieces of paper and ideas on napkins reality of people coming and serving and worshiping God. That's such a cool thing. I mean, if the, it, that's the greatest gift and job I can ever have is to see a vision come to pass. And it's just, and I, I, I get to be paid, if you will, to encourage God's people. But I was already doing that. I was already doing that because um, that is the gift that God has given me as an encourager, as an inspirer. And so I want to inspire you today. And I have a title of the message this morning. And I was going through your four G's. So I called this the G1, the growth factor, or G1. But actually on my way over here, I thought of another, another name. It's kind of cooler, though. And it's called Stirred Up. Because at the end of the day, you'll see in this text that the the, the thrust of the test, text is to stir you up. So only dead things don't grow. Only dead things don't, don't grow. So God has an expectation for us to grow. So it was good to see that in, in your four G's that the first thing is what God desires in this church is inspired to help you grow in, your, in the faith and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in our text today out of uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, you're going to see how, here we go, all right, you're going to see how this letter is written to do just that. So uh, Peter is one of the apostles of Jesus Christ, and he is writing to the church. He's an older man now, and his time is, is coming to the end where he's, uh, Jesus told him that he was going to die a certain way, that he actually was going to be crucified. That was prophesied over Peter, and Jesus told him, when you old, somebody's going to take you where you don't want to go and do what you don't want them to do. And it was speaking of the type of death that Peter was going to face, and he is now here at the end of life. 
And he is still, his number one desire is to encourage God's people. So this letter, he actually says, my intent is to stir you up. So I'm not going to deviate from that intent. I'm going to use the same intent Peter had for the church that he wrote it to, that is to you today, that his intent is still applicable for us today, that he wants us to be stirred up. So we talked about growth. There's the expectation that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's just not a dormant faith. It's just not something that you uh, attach to your life uh, like an insurance policy. You know what I mean? You don't really use it. You got it. You sign off on it. Uh, when the time comes, you pull it out. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is not an insurance policy against hell. Salvation is a lifelong commitment that has eternal significance and ramifications when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, because it's just not for the here and now, it's for the future. And then it's everything in between. It's just not something you do here, and then you don't worry about it until you get ready to die. No. It's a day-to-day, moment-to-moment reality of a life sold out to the one who sold his life out for you. So Peter steps in in um, chapter 1. And so my message is the text. So you'll be able to follow me through this uh, verses 1 through 15 in 2 Peter because the, the, it's already a message. So I don't, you didn't need any words from me. I'm going to go right through this text and it's going to preferably speak to your hearts. And so Peter says, Simon Peter, he's identified himself as an apostle. And then he says to, to you, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Well, what is he saying there? What he's saying is that even though they were apostles chosen by Jesus Christ, their faith was no different than the faith we have today. They weren't some super saint sitting up there. Your pastor, as much as you love him, he's not a super saint. If the same faith is in him, is the same faith that's in you. It's just applied differently in the calling and in your purpose. So he is saying that because he is also dealing, Peter is dealing with um, uh, false teachings as well. Most of the letters that were written were written to address certain issues and things that were going on. And so there were those that were saying that their faith was superior to others' faith. And so Peter is squashing that right now. He said, nah, the same faith we have is the same faith you have. And he says, uh, it's of equal standing by the righteousness, and get this, of God and of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Powerful statement. Our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. One and the same. If anybody ever tell you Jesus never, Jesus never said he was God or the scriptures never teaches us that Jesus is not God, this scripture right here just said it. Jesus is Lord. He is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, this faith we have that's in Jesus Christ as our God and our Savior, it says, may peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So here we are. What you know about God is essential because you can have a, a faith and a saving faith, but you have to grow in the knowledge and of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's like learning anything else. You have to know who he is. You have to spend time with him. You have to get into the word. God expects you. The scripture expects you. The church expects you to grow in that grace and in that knowledge of Jesus. If you have a limited knowledge of Jesus, you will have a limited knowledge of your faith. You will have a limited knowledge of your service. You will have limited knowledge in everything that you do. And you wonder why things may be off course. Maybe you lack understanding of who God is and what he's actually done in your life. The word knowledge is used on several occasions, I think four times in this particular text. So knowledge is important. The right knowledge. Having the right knowledge. We don't determine who God is. God has already determined that. You don't get the right the right, right about who God is. God has already written. God has already revealed himself. Our job is to understand and to grow in that knowledge that he has already given to us. So uh, he expects us to, to our grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ to grow. And it says his divine power. So once again, here's another point. Jesus has divine power. Jesus has divine power. Only God can have divine power, right? Jesus is Lord. He is God. His divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And so I, I use this. I was thinking about this. Can you move this a couple of factors, a couple of um, slides? We're on the, I think, second slide. So we have a faith, right? And I thought about this thing of, of, of soup. And so you had a pot, you put all the ingredients in it. And, and, and you just, there's something you have to do to that, but all the ingredients is there. So we have faith, and we have our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says he's given us all things. You have, the Bible says you have everything you need for life and godliness. There is nothing extra that you need that God has not already given you. He said he's, he said we have, he's granted to us all things. And last time I checked, all things mean all things. For life and godliness. So in this pot of faith and everything else, God has given, all the ingredients are in there. Everything is in there. You just got to get to cooking. You got to cook it. You got to stir it up. You got to put some heat on it and some, uh, some uh, 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 it has to be agitated. You got to sometimes stir that thing. And as you stir the faith that God has given you, some things will happen. But what does that look like? We're going to get to that. What does that look like? He's given us all things in, through the knowledge, once again, through the knowledge, what do you know about God? Do you know he's giving you all things? Do you know what it is he has spoken over your life? Do you know what he has in his word? See, we can come to faith. That's basic knowledge. A, a baby, a child can come to faith in Christ. But God doesn't expect a child to stay a child. He expects us to grow and mature in him, in our knowledge of him. Once again, knowledge is repeated over four times in this text. So a baby comes to faith, a, a, a person comes to faith, whether you're 40, 30, 20, or 3, you come to faith. But the expectation is just like when you have a child for that child to grow. God is expecting us to grow. So 
So verse 4 says, By which he has granted us uh, granted to us precious and great promises so that through them you might be partakers of the divine nature. God is, when you come, listen, when you come to faith in Christ, you step into that nature. You take on a second nature, which is an eternal nature, which God gives to his children. That's why Paul says, I'm, when I'm absent from the body, I'll be present with the Lord. That is that transition from death to life. That, and, and only God can give eternal life. So you take on the divine nature in the sense of you will become and will be one day eternal. We have to get through this life, though. But life doesn't end here. That is the glorious hope that he's given us. So you take on that divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You've escaped. When God calls you, you've escaped something. When he uh, saved you, you've escaped something. God expects us to live as if we have received and, and are, are worthy of who he is. We're to live as children of the Most High God. Don't ever forget where you come from. It's a part of your testimony, a part of your story. But God brings you from someplace. God never leaves you like he finds you. Never leaves you like he finds you. You've escaped death and destruction. You've come into the light of God with purpose and destiny. He says, you need to remember that. You need to see, if you don't know this, once again, this is knowledge. If you don't know this, you won't live like it. You won't, if you don't know this, then you don't understand what all God has for you. So you escape this. So you got the faith that God has given you, equal faith. Um, you are part, uh, God has given you all things. You are partakers of the divine nature. You've escaped the corruption. And because of all these things, verse 5 says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Supplement. How many of you guys take supplements? I know our gym f- folks here take supplements. You take supplements. It's, it's, it's not like you're not getting the nutrient, but you need a little bit more of it. Right? That's what a supplement is. And so you have faith. It is complete. Your faith is complete. But he says to supplement your faith. God wants us to supplement our faith. Next text. Next slide, bro. Okay, I'm like, did I mess that up? No, okay. (laughs) I was about to panic. Uh, (laughs) So he says supplement. So you add into your faith, what? Virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is being a good person. Being a person of integrity. I know we know a lot of people that don't have integrity. Raise your hand, you know somebody without integrity? Maybe y'all don't know anybody, but I know a few people. But he says, this needs to be added. Added. And then knowledge. And this, once again, this is the deeper matters of faith. You can come to know God and, and understand his work on the cross and salvation and what it means to be saved, and boom, it's done. But then now what? Growth, knowledge, deeper matters of the faith. We have to move from, from the milk to the meat. Amen? And then from, you add to your knowledge, self-control. And what does that mean? The, the signifying the ability to control one's emotion. Don't lose your mind over everything, God's people. 
I know with all the political stuff, how many of y'all been on Facebook fights or been in Facebook? No, never mind. I ain't going to say it. I ain't gonna, don't even answer that. Over just stuff. God's people are expected. You can't lose your mind, folks. You have the mind of Christ. Self-control is something we should be adding to our faith. Look, I've lost it. At times I've lost it. And God has convicted me of that. And it's been a little while. My wife's not here so I can say this kind of stuff, right? Because she won't be giving me that look. Yeah, okay. But we are to exercise self-control, ability to control one's emotion. And then to that self-control, it says to add steadfastness. And this refers to the ability to withstand temptation, hardship, and persecution. Folks, when you come to faith in Christ, this is not a cruise to the Bahamas. It's a bumpy plane ride, and they give you a parachute. Because you just don't know. (laughs) And things will come your way. Your faith will be tested. You will have to endure some things. God never said, he said, in this world, Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. He didn't say you might. He didn't say you come to faith, you won't. He said you will have troubles. Steadfastness is holding on to God, your faith, regardless of what's going on around you. This is a supplement. This is what, it's already marked in us, but sometimes we got to add a little extra. Because the, the world can have a tendency to shake us off or try to shake us off. The devil will try to shake you off. But God says to be steadfast in him. To hold on. If any of you are going through anything today, God is saying, hold on. This too shall pass. Add to your steadfastness, godliness, holy living, folks. We have to walk worthy of the call that God has put on our lives. We are heirs of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of God, the most high God. And he is a holy God. We have to be examples, folks. If no, I know Charles Barkley said, I ain't no role model. How I many of y'all remember when he said that? He don't have to be a role model, but we do. Over and over in scripture, he teaches us. We're, we may be the only Jesus people see. And it's not, it's, don't hear me, I'm not saying perfection. We're not perfect. But even, in our, and even when we stumble and fall, God forgives us. We can ask for forgiveness. And that's a godly thing to do. Is to even ask for forgiveness when you mess up. It's more, it's more ungodly to mess up and act like you didn't. When everybody else knows you did. <laughs> Holy living. Living for God. Are you living for God or are you living for yourself? Next one, brother. And then add to that godliness, brotherly affection, loving others. Folks, church is a family. Church is not like a family. The church is a family. You all have the same blood running through you, the blood of Jesus Christ. Every time you take the communion, it's a remembrance 
of the blood that we share together, the blood that was shed for us, that brings us into the family of God. And so how dare us not love one another? We're literal brothers and sisters. That's why the scripture says that we're brothers and sisters. It teaches us that. The the father says, this is my son, Jesus. Jesus brings us into the family of God as brothers and sisters with God as our father. It makes sense. But do you know that? Do we live applying those principles and those things in our life? And then loving one another unconditionally. Well, what if they do this? What if Jesus... Peter asked Jesus one time, he says, if if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? And Peter, being a good Jew, he knew the law required us to forgive three times. So what Peter did was he doubled that and added one. So he said, okay, the law says three. We know Jesus don't deal with the law, so let's double that, and then I'll add an extra one. Then, Then Peter, thinking he's all smart and everything, he said, seven times, Lord? Jesus, I'm sure he probably laughed because he figured out how, how Peter was trying to reconcile this in his mind. He said, no, 70 times seven. What? <laughs> how many times basically he was saying you forgive them every time they come to you, ask for forgiveness. And even when they don't ask, you still forgive them. Because when you don't forgive someone, that's you who's holding them hostage. You got to create that jail inside of you. And keep them locked up seven days a week, 24 hours a day. With you standing at the prison guard. When that person, more than likely, not even thinking about what happened. We have to release those things. And then you add to your brotherly love, so we, we love each other. Even when we disagree, we need to love each other. God is... It's not, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, God is not a Democrat or Republican. He's not. We're brothers and sisters regardless of our political affiliation. Over our political affiliation. It just gets me when I see God's people fighting and arguing over this stuff, ready to go to battle. Come on. (laughs) Jesus died for us. His blood was shed on the cross, and and you're going to hate your brother or be mad at your brother or sister because of their political affiliation? Come on, folks. We have to be above that. I'm not saying you can't have, have your views, make your vote, trust God for the results. But love your brother. He said, add to your faith. This is something we need to add. This is a part of who we are. If we're not doing this, something's wrong, something's disconnected, something's broken. And then add to your brotherly affection, agape. Agape is the greatest love. It's the love of God. And it's to having that godly love in us that loves even the most unloving person. See, that's something we, we you know, that's going to, we, we might wait to add that to the soup. You know, we don't want to add that, but it's in there. It's a reality. 
And that's the love that wins people to Jesus Christ. It's the love of God that, that ministers to those that don't, are not as fortunate than us. It's the love of God that ministers to those that are not deserving of that kind of love. But see, we got to remember, we, are, we escaped. Remember, we escaped something because we were those unloving people, those ungodly people that God reached down and loved on and brought to a saving knowledge of him because of the love of God. Bible says, while we were yet sinners, we were enemies of God when God loved us. We were haters of God when God loved us. We were deniers of God when God loved us. And that's the same love he expects us to have for others. So I'm going to wrap this up. Um, verse 8 says, for if, you, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, say increase. We want to make a lot of money. We want to increase in our wages. We want to increase in our homes. And we want to increase in a lot of different ways. But do you want to increase in godliness and self-control and steadfastness? He said, these qualities are yours and are increasing. So this is the, the supplemental aspect. Is God expecting these things to grow. G1 factor. God is expecting these things to be growing in you. Only dead things don't grow. Only disconnected things don't grow. So God is expecting these things to be growing in you. He says if they're yours and they are increasing, it will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And those two words, they're similar, but they're different. Ineffective is like having a worker that's not working. He's paid, but ain't doing anything. And unfruitful is like having a fruit tree that's not bearing any fruit. So it's like a worker that's not working and a fruit tree that's not bearing fruit when we are not increasing and growing in these things. So he's equating that to us. He said, if you're not increasing, you're not growing, then you are being ineffective and unfruitful. unfruitful. But if you are, these things are increasing and they are growing, then you're being effective and fruitful. Then he says, verse 9, whoever lacks in these qualities is nearsighted and is blind, having forgotten. Don't forget where God has brought you from, people. Don't forget where God has brought you from. When you remember where God has brought you from, then you remember, you know what? I need to be a little better in this area. I, I, I need to be a little more kinder and more loving to my brother and my sister. I need to be growing. And it seems like every time something happens to me, I stop coming to church. I stop giving. I stop communicating. I, stop, I just give up. No, I need to have a little more steadfastness and, and persevering. When you're going through something, folks, don't run from God. Run to him. So many times, stuff happens to us and we run from God. Look, where, where, where are you going to go? You're going to go back to the devil? You're going back to the, the life you had before as if it's going to be better? No. It's when you're going through things that you, you, you're getting close. Even in tears, you're getting close. Just getting close. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all more diligent. For if you practice these qualities, practice them, 
You can have them. It's in the pot. You got to stir this thing up. You got to get it engaged. You got to get it involved. He wants you to practice these things. You are a child of, of, the, of the most high God. He expects us to live that way. It's a matter of our knowledge and understanding what he's expecting us to do. And we have these qualities that will actually transform your life. Sorry about that. So verse 12, he says, I, Therefore, I always intended to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are firmly established in them. So this is not a rebuke. You have these things. God's salvation has come on you. God's salvation has come into your life. These qualities are yours. He said, but I wanted, you to, re- I wanted to remind you of them. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up in a way of a reminder. So that was my goal today. That was the goal of the scripture was to stir you up. I pray that you've been stirred up. Let's have a moment of prayer. Father, I just thank you for this congregation of faithful servants. Lord, they're here. Lord, they're faithful. They're hearing your word. I pray, Lord, that their hearts have been stirred up for you, O Lord. Lord, that they have been inspired, O God, to continue on another day, O God, to be salt and to be light, to be your witnesses, O God, to a lost and dying world, O God. Right now, we are salt and a salt shaker, O God, but we will leave here from this, this time, O Lord. And I pray, Lord, when they leave out of this building, when we leave out of this building, O Lord, that we will be the salt and the light of the earth. Lord, we will represent you, Lord, in a glorious and mighty way, Lord, taking no credit for ourselves as we let our light shine before Lord, that they may come to know you. Bless each and every person here, oh God. Bless their homes, bless their lives, bless their relationships, oh God. May they be your witnesses and bring you glory in all that they do. May you keep them and prosper them. And we ask these things in the love of the Father, in the glory of the Son, and in the presence of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.